This week on the show, some pop culture news. We record our first sequel episode with our review of the book, The Wild Robot Escapes, and we read fortune cookies. It's the second week of August, 2021, and you're listening to Lunchbox Reaction. Welcome back, everyone, and thanks for listening. My name is Evan, and I'm joined, as always, by my two co-hosts, Linnea. Hello. And Brian. Hello. So let's start off by sharing some pop culture news. Who would like to go first? I'll start. Mine is quick. In the rush to do everything live action these days, Netflix has said they're working on a live action Pokemon series. I guess based on the success of Detective Pikachu, we'll see if anything comes of it. I hope it's as good as the movie. The movie was pretty good. So my pop culture reference for this week is, I'm just about to start reading a new book called The Hollow Chest by Britta Stanstrom. It takes place in Britain immediately after World War II, where a guy meets his brother after a few years because his brother was in the war, but he's different, and it turns out that the war wolves have gotten to him. (gasps) So apparently there are these wolves that attack the people who are depressed, and they steal their souls. So this guy's... This guy's souls have been stolen by the war wolves. <laughs> and that's all I know. That sounds horrible. Yep. So my pop culture news is that on Friday, the third My Hero Academia movie came out. It's called World Heroes Mission. So I, yeah, I assume it's about doing missions around the world. <laughs> so this is a, a movie in the theater or what? Yeah, but it's only in Japan right now. <laughs> oh, okay. And how do you know about it? Because... You know, it's the third movie. It's kind of just everywhere. Yeah, even the show made like a whole episode about how it's about to be out. Are there trailers for it? Yeah. In Japanese, I suppose? Yeah. <laughs> so you have you watched it? Mm-hmm. The trailer? Yeah. And it looks good? Yeah. So when do you think it'll be here in the U.S.? I don't know. I hope soon. <laughs> okay. She hasn't even seen the first two movies, so... No. <laughs> oh, you mean there's already other movies? Yeah, this, this is, is the third, third one. one. Oh, are the other movies here? Mm-hmm. Okay. I haven't seen those either. <laughs> oh, because they're not on Hulu or... No. Is there anywhere where you can find them? Yeah, they're places. <laughs> like what places? I don't know. Oh. They're on Funimations, which is the place where... Their they... website? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so or you probably have to... streaming service. Oh, okay. So um, you have to have a subscription or something. Yeah. I think you can watch them if you get, like, a premium subscription to Hulu. <laughs> so is that it for our uh, News of the Week? I think it mm-hmm. is. All right. Let's go on to our main topic, then. Now on to our main topic. Today we'll be discussing the book The Wild Robot Escapes by author and illustrator Peter Brown. This book is the second in the series, and you might recall that we reviewed the first book, The Wild Robot, in January 2021 on episode 16 of our show. The Wild Robot Escapes continues to tell the story of Ross, the robot protagonist from the first book. Ross has been reactivated and has been put to work as a farm robot. Even though she makes new friends at the farm, she longs to return to the island and reunite with her son, Bright Bill the Goose. The book was published in March 2018 by Little Brown Books and received the Parents' Choice Silver Award. Now on to our questions for this week. Do you guys think that this book would be an accurate representation of what happened next? Yeah, I think so. I think mm-hmm. I think you could almost put these two books together and just yeah. have them be one book. It felt like it pretty much picked up exactly where the last one left off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read a bit of the back and it did say that the author, Peter Brown, was like researching on robots. 
Next question, what do you think of the illustrations for this book? I really like the illustrations in the book. They're kind of, they're not like super, super detailed, but they're like simple and cute. Yeah, I like how they're sprinkled throughout the story. They're just enough to pique your interest. They're fun to look at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as always, I really like it. Gives those me good idea. Gives me a good idea of what the robot actually looks like. <laughs> yeah, you can tell the difference between certain types of robots, like Raws, compared to the Ricos. What state do you think the wild robot takes place in? Where Hilltop Farm is? Oh, that's a good question. I in my head, I always pictured it as somewhere on the east coast. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I have a. It state said there's like a big city. Yeah, you know, I suppose it could be near. Boston or New York. Or maybe it's on a different planet. <laughs> no, I think it's I think it's Earth, isn't it? I thought it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. In in my head that's where I always pictured it's on the East Coast. I I don't know about a specific state. I mean she does travel quite a ways in this book. You know, where the island could be, maybe somewhere off the coast of Canada or something, because they say it's a well, it was a three-hour ride Yeah, yeah. in a super futuristic <laughs> plane UFO or whatever kind of <laughs> some sort of suborbital spacecraft that can fly around. Uh, good question. I guess, like I said, uh, to me, it's just somewhere on the East Coast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is actually something that's been in my head for a while. Do you guys think that there is global warming in the wild robot universe? Yeah, there's definitely some, lots of mention of climate change and stuff. To me, in the book, it's almost like they've maybe solved it, or they've, mm. or they're using the robots to help combat it. Or did something in the book make you think that? Yeah, on page two hundred sixty-one of the book. Let me just get this real quick. In the in the first book, they kept saying about how the oceans would rise a little bit higher every year, oh, yeah. and the island would keep getting smaller and smaller. Yeah, you're right. I remember that now. Yeah. So yeah, the line that really stuck out for me in the book was on page 261 when there was this one line. The ocean was deep. However, scattered throughout the dark depths were shallow areas, sandbars, reefs, island just under the waves. In places, bizarre rock formations stuck up from the shallows. Or were they the old ruins of buildings? The mysterious shapes faded beneath the airships and were replaced by more dark depths. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to me that line just stuck out like buildings under the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I suppose there yeah, there could be, you know, maybe they just take it for granted because it's already happened and yeah. and they don't talk about it that much. So do you like the writing style of the book? I guess I'll start. So I I really appreciate the wild robot writing style cuz to me it's always just different and I can tell that it pokes out a little bit more than other writing. There's Certain, like, there's a certain way that that Peter Brown does it, and I really like it. It's hard to explain. Like, especially my favorite parts were, is where it says, clearly the robot was designed to do this, when in the other book it said, clearly the robot was not designed to do this. It's kind of like the author is talking right to the reader, right? Yeah, the author seems a lot like a narrator that sometimes just directly addresses the reader. I like the very short, brief chapters. I think it makes you feel like you're reading a lot faster maybe than you are. Yeah, there's some <laughs> chapters that are just like poetry, it seems like. Oh, yeah, I love those chapters where it's just like everything Roz notices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're fun. The story the story just flies by. Some chapters are a single page. Others are maybe 
four or five pages, but it makes you feel like you can cover a lot of ground and you don't have to go into too much detail, but, but yet it is detailed. You get a, real, a good sense of where you are and you get a sense of the various characters. I noticed there, there were a lot fewer characters in this book compared to the previous book. Yeah. You know, in the previous book, we had Roz the robot, we had Bright Bill, we had all the different creatures on the island. In this book, we really get... Mr. Sheriff, the kids. We get a farmer, we get a kid. The wolves and the cows. I guess we get some pigeons. We get some pigeons. We get someone at the very end. I won't spoil who it is. So one other person. But yeah, there's a lot lot fewer characters. So I think he's, in this case, the writing style is going on kind of what we already know about Roz in a way. Mm -hmm. What we've built up and, and what we can feel through her eyes. How do you think Ross would be able to communicate with other animals that she's never seen before, like cows? I think it just comes down to her animal talk, right? Yeah. She said all animals kind of basically use the same language, just like with accents. But what I was wondering is because a lot of the island animals might have their own language or something because they've never seen other animals before. Yeah, I'm sure years and years ago, probably an animal from that island came to, like, they came from the bigger world and then they start just using that language i guess it's just part of the story i i don't know i'm not too worried about it it. i don't think it needs to be logical (laughs) i mean we already have a robot talking to animals so that's (laughs) if if that's the furthest stretch then then that's fine with me i i just go with it okay what range of time do you think this book takes place in like does it take place in two and a half years (laughs) because that's my guess Oh, well, I thought she was only there on the farm for maybe... Yeah, but like to start... Less than a year. From start yeah. to end. I thought Roz would be there for longer than a year because... The geese came to migrate when she first got there, and then they like came and migrated again through there. So right. that would have been like a full year. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was just about a year. Yeah, I guess a year and a half because of the whole she has to get to the island again thing. So I would say a year and a half. So that brings us to the next question. What time do you think this book takes place in? I think we might have asked this last time we reviewed The Wild Robot, but now we have like more information on this world. So what year, 2050 or something? Yeah, maybe 40 years in the future. That's what it feels like to me anyway. Mm -hmm. It seems like almost everything is done by robots in this universe. I would assume that it would be a while later, too, because of the whole global warming thing. If whole buildings were underwater, that would definitely take a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, could be. Although at one point, Roz found a journal mm-hmm. on the farm, and wasn't. I think that was from before there were robots, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it was only that person's grandparents. Mm-hmm. I think it was their great-grandparents. Yeah. Somewhere between 40 to 80 years, maybe, we'll say. That's what I'd think. Yeah. Okay. I was just wondering. So do any of you have questions? I thought it was interesting how, like, news spread around so fast in the animal world. Oh, yeah. With the migrating geese? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't expect that. I wouldn't if, like, a a lot of geese in the world went to the exact same place and they all had stories. It reminded me of Nemo. Right. Yeah, I was just going (laughs) to say, uh, a lot of this book reminded me of, of Finding Nemo. And, Mother and it, trying to find her son, except... Right, well, and even and even the birds. We had the stork mm-hmm. in uh, Finding Nemo, you know, spreading the news around, right? And here it's the geese. Yeah, there was so much that it kind of felt 
to me like Finding Nemo, but on land. <laughs> although although it was in the ocean too. We I guess there was yeah. another character. We had a whale too. Well, I mean, I didn't count the whale because it was only for like one chapter. And we had a whale in in Finding Nemo. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the lines that stood out to me in the book, in fact, I, I took a picture of it so I could remember. It's early on in the book where Roz is on the farm and she has made friends with some children there. And the children ask Roz if she's defective because she seems alive. She's not just following orders. She's thinking for herself. And what I like is that she says, you know, I've asked myself that same question. I don't feel defective. I feel different. Is being different the same thing as being defective? And I thought that was a really interesting line. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people can think of themselves as as being defective and different. And, you know, you shouldn't really think of yourself like that. You should think of yourself as good the way you are. And I, I thought that was a nice message that the children saw her for what she was. And she thought of herself as, as the way she was. So I, mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of cool. Well, I mean, probably Bright Bill has asked her that before. So how do you write this book? Hmm, I forgot what I rated the first one. But yeah, I give this book like, yeah, like a 9 out of 10. I give it an 8.5. I think the original one is a bit better. I can't put quite put my finger on why I think that, but I think it. I'd give this book an 8 out of 10. I enjoyed it. Yeah, if I had to pick one that I liked more, it would probably be the first one. But again, I'll come back to it. it. seemed like you could just take these two books and put them together into one book, and it would still be a complete story. Mm-hmm. I almost think if you read them, you should almost read them back to back. The I book think... felt more like a part two than a sequel. Right, yeah. Like a second act of a play mm-hmm. or something. Now, I remember when we read the first book, and I was talking about how this is how the first book was so much like a National Geographic special where animals were dying and animals were getting eaten and things like that. There's a lot less of that in this book. Well, I mean, at the end... There is a bit, there's like one line dedicated to stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah, I found this book less, uh, I don't even know what what kind of word that would be. Gory? It's not really gory, but. (laughs) There was one scene where like a deer died. Dark. Dark, yeah. But less animal cruelty. (laughs) Less animal cruelty, yeah. Well, it's not really animal cruelty. It's it's the survival of the fittest kind of, right? The natural order of things. Yeah, animal cruelty. Yeah. There were wolves trying to eat the cows. <laughs> They're being cruel to the cows. Oh, okay. Now, is there a third one? Yeah, there's a third one coming out, I think. It's called The Wild Robot Returns. Oh, okay. Uh, but it's not out yet? Yeah. Okay. Well, when that book comes out, we'll have to review that one, too. Sure. So, yeah, I'd I'd recommend this. What what age range do you think this would be good for? Mm. Any age? I mean, I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was fine. Maybe not, like, fun super, the super whole little family. Kids. I mean, I'd say it, it's a good, maybe late elementary, early middle school book. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. So maybe we'll say grades four to six. Does that sound good? Yeah. Grades four to seven. Four to seven. Evan falls exactly into that age range. All right. Well, there we go. The Wild Robot Escapes. Check it out. Thanks for listening to our first ever sequel episode of Lunchbox Reaction. But before you go, it's time for fortune cookies. So who wants to read theirs first? You have an active mind and a keen imagination. I did a robot voice. Yeah, you're massive enough to... Are we all going to do robot voices? Oh, okay. (laughs) Okay, then. Forbidden fruit creates many jams. That's my fortune. What does that mean? (laughs) Forbidden fruit creates many jams. 
I don't understand. Well, so forbidden fruit, something that you're probably not supposed to do, right? Or something that's bad. Yeah. Creates many jams means gets you in trouble. I guess. So doing something bad gets you in trouble. That's how I read that. All right, here's mine. For insight on quandary, turn to people with firsthand experience. That literally sounds like an ad that you just said. Yeah, but at least this week it wasn't about money. I keep getting the money one, so so finally one that's not. You will have something wealthy happen to you in your future. <laughs> that wraps up this week's episode of Lunchbox Reaction. Thanks again to my co-host, Linnea. Goodbye. <laughs> and Brian. So long. Check us out on Twitter at Lunchbox Reaction. Check us out on the web at lunchboxreaction.net. And see you all at the lunch table.